Straight from the WCHL studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your hosts, Chris and C.L. Brown. Tonight, the brothers talk new coaches' success, or not, NFL overtime rules, and welcome NFL network analyst and former Tar Heel wide receiver, Bucky Brooks. And now, your ticket to the backyard brawl, the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show. Welcome to our backyard. But which side are you going to be on here on Sibling Rivalry Sports? Over by the dogwood tree is C.L. Brown, senior college basketball writer for TheAthletic.com. Yes, that bow tie he's wearing out here is what you remember from his sports center appearances. Over here on this side of the field by the chain fence is Chris Brown, your host and co-author of Thunder Sports Network, the show on Juice TV, and the book, which C.L. wrote the forward to by the way which side will you choose let's see how it falls see how what's going on <laughs> man i'm laughing we didn't have no dogwood trees <laughs> it's 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 dynamic it's not it's not a direct you know it's come <laughs> right, on man right. abstract that's what i'm going for abstract <laughs> all right okay but you're, you're good abstract like most of your arguments yes and, and <laughs> we're, we're hoping everyone in the in the listening um who can hear us our voices right now came through safely from from Hurricane Florence. Um, I I know we uh, had our power go out once, but it was very briefly, and so that was probably the amount of our trouble. So I'm hoping everybody made it through safe. Yeah, same here, same here. It was a blessing not to to have, you know, any major things happen with my family as well. So thankful for that, and I hope everybody is either safe or recovers very quickly from that. Now, let's go on to our first segment here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. It's what we do it is the big playback. This is the big payback. Yeah, on the big playback, what we're going to do is take a hot topic in sports, and we're going to dissect it. We're going to mill about it and, and, and tell you what the real real is. This week, it is new college football coaches, coaches new to their jobs. Thumbs up, thumbs down. How is it going for these gentlemen? Let's kick it off. Let's start off with, uh, what do you say, CLs? Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. Yeah, it's funny. The, the gloss has worn off on a lot of these coaches that have moved to new positions in the Power Five uh, conferences. But Jimbo Fisher, so far at Texas A&M, is, is lighting it up. And, and that's coming with a loss to Clemson, 28-26 loss at home to Clemson. But they have a huge challenge coming up Saturday at Alabama. So we're going to see a lot and know a lot. Because I, I kind of feel like with Jimbo, he knows Clemson. He's been facing Clemson at Florida State. So he knew how to scheme for them and they had to come to College Station to play. So Alabama is a totally different challenge for him and, and his squad. But so far you, you'd have to say he's he's having a successful tenure. <laughs> you can know Clemson and that can mean diddly because you got to do something about Clemson and they showed up big time. That was a great game and they, they were in it the entire way. So I, I like what he's got going and 
and you know that man, that crowd, that that the, those twelves down there, the twelve men, they are behind. They are behind that coach. They got a slogan and everything, man. They got a, everything behind. They're behind you until they're not behind you. They're, okay. they're behind Sumlin for when he first got there from Houston too. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens this weekend. I, I have to say though, I give him props so far for what's gone on. Let's go on to Herm Edwards. Herm, you you got to give him credit for the Michigan State win. Michigan State was number fifteen at the time. They went at home sixteen thirteen, but it took uh, I, I took something away from me when they go to San Diego State and lose twenty eight twenty one last weekend. I think the true test to me for his ten years so far is is this real? Is this fake? Um, is their their game at number ten Washington? I want to see how they compete. I want to see are they going to get blown out? Are they going to be in the game? Are they going to win the game? You know. I want, I want to see how they compete in this game for me to really, uh, I think it's a, a true barometer on where they are. Defense wins championship. Coach Edwards, what what are you doing out there? I'm here to win the game. You play to win the game. Where's no. all that motivation against the Aztecs, though? <laughs> they skipped it. They skipped prep. You know, so, you like we Herm talked Edwards about last week. Skip prep. You think Herm Edwards is going to skip prep? Yes, sir. If his no. coordinator say, hey, we, no. look, we, we need no. to prepare for that Stanford team. Let's just go basic Washington. with these guys. I'm sorry, sorry. Washington, yeah. Let's go basic with these guys. And so let's bring it. Wait, is it Washington? It's Washington. Okay. All right. So Oregon's hitting Stanford. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Let's go basic. And that's what they did. You know, beating a top 25 team, that is something. That may have been overrated. You know what? Maybe, maybe not. Yet and still, it's in the heads of your players. These guys are traditionally a solid team. They're coming into our house. We're new. This is going to be a tall task. And he, they were up to the task. I like what he's doing. Let's continue to move on here. Mr. Frost, Scott Frost. Is he frozen? What's he doing? <laughs> What's he doing over there? Nebraska's 0-2 for the first time since 1957. Yeah, that's crazy. That I didn't know that. Crazy. until Yeah. And, and I mean, they lose to Colorado, lose to Troy. Next, uh, next up is at Michigan, which isn't going to be an easy task for them. Um, generally speaking, I like Scott Frost. I like what he was, what he was able to do. Winning a national championship at UCF last season, oh, no. but um, <laughs> man, this is just—I I think it speaks to to me how far off Nebraska is. This isn't the heyday of of Nebraska. True we're that. we're past that, and I think True. some fan bases kind of hold on. Like it will never be what it was at Nebraska again, in my opinion. Now, can they be good? Can they be highly competitive? Can they be a top ten team? Yes, they can. But it's going to take time. It's going to take him building, and I don't. Think they'll ever be to a point where they just reset and reload, and they will continue. Like I think it'll be one of those programs that builds and has a good year every four years. They can really compete for a national title, possibly, or or compete for a Big Ten title. They can be in that mix, but I don't think they'll ever be back to you know every year we're seeing Nebraska as a top ten team. It surprised everyone the way that he started off. That's true, and everybody loves the the stat and woe is woe is me and that type of thing. I believe in this guy Scott Frost. This guy, he's got some character. He's got some oomph in his gut. I I believe that he is an X's and O's guy. He he did something incredible with UCF. He he was really he made them a very legit team and program. And I believe with this better recruiting the the 
these better athletes, he's going to do the same thing. The only thing is, it will take time. And you know what? I look at what's happening and I say, he is uprooting all that culture. Maybe some of the kind of, uh, you know, entitlement type of thing. He's uprooting it and he's going to he's going to plant his way, his base. I believe we will see it. And you know what? I'm going to go and say, I believe Nebraska will return to the limelight. They will be, if he's Scott Frost stays, I believe they will be one of those schools that, that's in it in the mix year after year. You watch. You watch. Too difficult. They don't have a natural recruiting base. But, you know. Somehow they did it before. That was before. That was totally different before. This is not Tom Osborne. These these are totally different set of circumstances. He's great too. Back when back when Nebraska was like one of the only teams you'd see on TV. Like it, now you see everybody on TV. Like it's totally different now. It's totally different now. I assure Let's, you what Tom Osborne did was not because you saw him on TV or whatever. I assure you that that we should recruiting talk about wise, recruiting wise, recruiting wise, that's a different show. That's a different show. He's a great guy. Okay, so let's go on to Willie Taggart, Coach Willie Taggart, Florida State. Willie Taggart, uh, I'm giving him a big thumbs up. <laughs> wow! <laughs> they're one and two right now. Wow! And I say this, he's the only coach out of 11 new coaches in the Power Five conferences, uh, he's the only coach that has already played two teams that are also in Power Five conferences. They happen to be ACC conference games, and it's the schedule that has hurt him as much as anything because if he is, say, Mario Cristobal at Oregon and played three cupcakes so far, no one would know the holes in Florida State. His guys didn't have time to really get confidence and get get uh, acclimated to his system and playing how he wants them to play. And then throw, throw on that they've gotten some injuries. Their offensive line is kind of in shambles right now. So I think Willie Taggart, he has proven from Western Kentucky, from USF, from uh, his only year at Oregon, he has proven that he leaves places better than when he got there. And he will do the same at Florida State. I mean, there's no way that I can give him a thumbs down. I, it's it's way too early. When you see someone that you know knows the game and is, is talented in many different ways, like Taggart, and it goes like this, I think it's similar, you know, in a way to Scott Frost. He is uprooting culture and he's planting his roots. He has run into somewhat of a buzzsaw, so he, he's fine. Okay, we got to we got to keep going quickly, quickly. Just a quick. Uh, do you have a final big thumbs up, thumbs down? A big thumbs down. We'll stay with big thumbs down to Chip Kelly at UCLA. He's yes. already. Getting criticized by parents, his his quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson, his father has come out um, saying that his coach takes no responsibility. All right, well, I'm giving a big thumbs up to somebody who took a shot at Mario Crystal Ball. They scored 120 points in their first two games. Mm-hmm. I know they were subpar, mm-hmm. uh, quote subpar opponents, but they are three and zero. And watch what they do this weekend at home in that crazy loud place with that home field advantage against Stanford. They're going to bring the noise. Let's see it happen. All right, we got we got to get out of here. This has been great, though, CL. Let's go and, and talk to some of our friends. And then we're coming back with Bucky Brooks from NFL Network. Yes, he's right here. Keep it locked. Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill. Another week, another incredible. We're trying to top ourselves every week. 
another incredible guest who just I get more excited every time, especially for the man that we have with us tonight. Uh, his name, well, wait, wait, first I got to give his accolades first because you knew him as a dynamic receiver, uh, kick returner uh, for your Tar Heels. Uh, he also went on to the NFL and played with a number of teams, including Buffalo and Jacksonville. And then he became a scout for a couple of franchises, the Seahawks and, and the Panthers. And now you know him, a very familiar face around uh, the NFL network, and he's an NFL media analyst. Uh, this man... You, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him something a little different because his name is Bucky Brooks, but I'm gonna call him I'm gonna call this Bucky the Winner Soldier, Bucky Brooks. <laughs> Bucky, what's going on? Man, such an introduction. I'm good, man. I'm glad to be on with you guys. How you doing? You really dig, dug deep for that one, the Winner Soldier. Oh, now, and you, you understand it's Winner because he's a winner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope it sticks, Bucky. I hope it sticks. Uh, all right all right well hey uh you uh, you know what right off the bat i gotta say you are a trendsetter I, I think now nowadays it is common to see you know athletes who they come out and once they the the career arc in in the sport is finished they transition to media to television to radio or what have you i think you know that's something that's but before years ago that wasn't so so common i think it was something that a person had to be you know pretty pretty special to make that transition and i really feel like you were one of the trailblazers that way someone who who came out did did the career arc in sport and then transitioned over to this media thing and that type of deal was that something that did it come naturally was it something you always wanted to do or how did it come about for you Man, I, I, I honestly just kind of fell into media opportunities. Um, if I had known that this was going to be my career arc, uh, I majored in communications at Carolina, but I certainly would have taken some journalism classes mm -hmm. and really tried to kind of beef up that end of it because my aspiration or my dream when I thought about entering the media was just to become a respected writer to try and do it a little differently because I didn't feel like as a player – especially in the TV world, that I would have enough accolades to give myself an opportunity. So writing gave me an opportunity to kind of get my opinion and perspective out there. It gave me an opportunity to kind of, kind of drive in a different lane. And through writing, I then had the opportunity to begin to do radio and TV and podcasting. But it's been the writing part of it that has kind of been my basis. And I would say, of all things, when I talk to young people, athletes or young people that are trying to kind of get in the business, I would say if you can master the craft of writing, it always gives you an opportunity to be re relevant in this business because no matter what, people still respect writers. They still respect writers' opinions. I give the same advice, <laughs> to be honest. If you have that writing base, you can do do anything in, in this field of media. I thought we'd get an amen from CL from his corner over there. Uh, let's talk some football. First of all, I, I do want to dial it back into Tar Heel history, or really across the span of Tar Heel history. Now, you played a little bit with, with quarterback Jason Stanisek, right? Yes. Yes, I did. I was my quarterback. Uh, shoot, man, from my sophomore year on, okay. uh, obviously one of the best quarterbacks in Tar Heel history. So 
that oh, that actually, Bucky, that is the question that I'm asking you. Could you? Is it possible? I know you know it's hard, but I I think Jason Stanisek, in my opinion, the best quarterback to don the blue. That guy was so clutch and athletic. You know, I lo- I love looking back at his you know his highlights and that type of thing. And I think we've had some good ones come through. Who, in your opinion, or you know, if you could narrow it down to one or one or two, the best were the best quarterbacks that we saw wear the Carolina blue. You know, it's funny because like Stanisek was a monster during his time, and I can only imagine how productive he would be in the style of offense that Carolina plays now True. in terms of being able to throw it all over the field and get the ball to playmakers and that stuff. Uh, when I look at Stanisek outside of him, I think you really have to give a lot of credit to two guys that come to mind. Uh, Darren Durant was an outstanding quarterback. You see all of his oh, yeah, accomplishments. You see what he's been able to continue to do as he's going up to the CFL mm-hmm. and have success. And then when you think about a guy like Marquise Williams, Say what you want to about Marquise. Um, mm-hmm. Stylistically, it wasn't always necessarily pretty, but he was very, very effective playing the, the way that he played. Mm-hmm. He put up big numbers, and he took a team that Mr. Trubisky was only able to take to like eight and five status. Mm-hmm. He got that same team with pretty much the same talent to the ACC championship game. Mm-hmm. I think when we look back, I think we will say that he is one of the best quarterbacks in Tar Heel football history based on what he was. It's kind of a one-man show as a dual-threat quarterback. He was very hard for defensive to account for. It was great watching that guy. Do you think that he'll transition back over to to the league at some point in the future? I don't know because, like, the thing about Marquise, Marquise was a great college quarterback. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't know from a passing game perspective if he was consistent and refined enough to play at the highest level. Mm-hmm. For Marquise, I would think that he would have to take the road of a Darren Durant and go to Canada, kind of refine his game and really understand how to kind of play and perform consistently from the pocket. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a dual-threat playmaker, a guy who can make things happen, even though it was a little more raw, I think he certainly is a guy that when you look back and look at the numbers that he compiled at Carolina, you have to give him the utmost respect. Well, I wanted to bring up Mitch Trubisky because uh, from the Monday night game against Seattle, we uh, after the game, Seahawks defensive end Frank Clark literally said that he was nothing special. Like, he's okay. He's an average quarterback. He got into it a little bit saying that if you pressure him, especially pressure up the middle, Mitch will get happy feet. Um, that was his. That was his words, not mine. But I, I was just wondering. You know, obviously he's still a young quarterback. He's still getting getting his feet wet, so to speak, in, in the league right now. How would you How would you assess that? I mean, is Clark? You know, <laughs> is Clark just kind uh, of? No, I wouldn't. I mean, like, look, I don't want to be a Tar Heel hater, but I will say this: I think Mr. Trubisky was a little overhyped and overvalued based on what he really showed on tape. He is a terrific player when he has the opportunity to play on rhythm. But as a quarterback that entered college, I mean, entered the National Football League with only 13 starts, you really didn't know what you had. And what you have now as a pro is a guy who can play in an offense that is very similar to what he played in at Carolina. But he really doesn't have what I would call like A-plus gifts in terms of being a quarterback. I think they can win with him. I think they can surround him with a nice supporting cast. And I think at his best, he could be a guy that plays like Alex Smith. However, he is going to have to learn how to throw with timing and anticipation. He's going to have to learn how to kind of move away from just going to the right side of the field. So when Frank Clark gives that assessment, 
they all understand that when you're watching that game, the Chicago Bears are playing around their quarterback as opposed to playing with him and mm-hmm. insinuating what he's able to do. Uh, that's, that's a good assessment. That's why you do what you do. So I also wanted to bring up Patrick Mahomes because I think there's a natural tendency to compare people in the same drafts, especially at quarterback. And right now in these first two weeks, he's been lighting it up. Ten touchdowns, zero interceptions, had six against my Steelers, which <laughs> we ain't going to talk about that right now. But um <laughs> I wasn't thinking that he was going to come in the league and be able to do this so far. Is this sustainable? Is 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 he the real deal? Or are we going to see more of this out of him in the future? Well, here's what I'll say about Pat Mahomes. Uh, in that draft, uh, you know, with Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, and Mitchell Trubisky, uh, I thought Deshaun Watson was the best and most ready to play based on the number of stars and based on what he had accomplished on the field at Clemson. Pat Mahomes was a guy that was what I call kind of like a playground legend. He mm-hmm. didn't play on scripted. He would run around, make plays, but he had remarkable arm talent. And you're talking about a guy that can throw the ball literally out the stadium. His arm talent, his arm strength is ridiculous, but you didn't know if he could harness it, refine it, and play in a controlled manner. Luckily for him, he went to Kansas City, who has one of the best quarterback developers in Andy Reid. Andy Reid basically can take any quarterback and put him in a situation where he can be successful. Andy Reid has taken Pat Mahomes. He surrounded him with a bunch of A-list playmakers, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Tammy Watkins. He's put together a collegiate-like offense that has allowed him to get the ball out the hands and put the hands of the playmakers quickly on the perimeter, and they have thrived. This offense is dynamic. He is terrific. I I mean, I think this guy's the limit for what this guy can accomplish. Yeah, he's definitely exciting to watch. It'll be exciting to see how this season unfolds for him. So, so you're talking, though, about that style of offense that they run out there and other places. Let me ask you something about just a current trend. And I know it's early. It's only two weeks in to the NFL season, going on three uh, here tonight on Thursday Night Football. But what do you think about the amount of yards and, and scoring that's happening already this season? Like CL said, 10 touchdowns, first time in NFL history that that's happened. You know, you just got a lot of, a lot of points coming from a lot of different teams. Bucky, do you think it is from a uh, uh, lack of a begrudging you know, defensive mentality, but more of a bend-but-don't-break mentality between the red zones, or is it that the, the run-pass option, you know, the spread offenses are that effective, or is it something else? Well, there are a couple of different things that have made it where offenses have all the advantage in the National Football League. Uh, the new rules, the helmet-to-helmet rules where you can't hit people uh, you can't hit the quarterback. You can't hit receivers really going across the middle. has really opened up the middle of the field. Wise teams are taking advantage of the rules by throwing the ball all over the yard. They are dialing up 35, 40 times a game, and they're putting the ball in the hands of these explosive athletes. If you dig deeper and look below the NFL level, if you look at college and even at high school, those teams are taking their best, best athletes, they're putting them at wide receivers. They're putting them in positions where they can take the ball on a two-yard bubble screen and go 40 yards. So the best receivers are playing offense. The inferior athletes are playing defense. And so when I look at the way the league is trending, you're going to continue to see these numbers go because you can't get to the quarterback, you can't cover the athletes, and the league rules have opened up the field. You can continue to see teams throw it all over the yard. 
as we're talking about athletes and big play athletes, could you perhaps settle an argument? Wait, wait, wait. Before before we get to that, and we're talking with, with Bucky Brooks, NFL.com analyst and Tar Heel legend, I wanted to ask you about Josh Gordon. Cleveland, you know, I guess from last Friday, they, they kind of made it known that he was going to be released on Monday, and then there was all this talk that teams were inquiring, and, and the Patriots seem like they've come out the winner making a deal to get Josh Gordon in the fold. Kind of given his backstory and his history and really kind of the reason why Cleveland ultimately got tired of him and, and wanted to get rid of him, how do you feel he's going to fit in with the Patriots, especially given the culture in New England, how they that do your job mentality? Will Will this be a risk that pays off? Do you feel like this is this is still too risky for the Patriots to take a chance on Josh Gordon at this point? How do you kind of see this playing out in New England? Oh, I think it'll play out pretty well if Josh Gordon is committed to being uh, in a structured environment. Uh, this is a situation where the New England Patriots are probably one of the more detailed organizations. They will put him in a very, very tight and structured environment. The deal really comes down to Josh Gordon. Um, he has to be willing to do everything that they ask. And I think as a recovering addict, um, you can look at it like two different ways. You can look at it like anyone's familiar with the 12-step program for Alcoholic Anonymous, um, and his issues are a little deeper than that. Uh, everything is structured in detail. If he's in a detailed environment like that, he could actually flourish. However, we have to see if Josh Gordon's life is under control. Based on some of the reports from Cleveland, it seemed like maybe he was having issues and pressures that may have been leading to some concerns for Brown's officials. We'll see. If he's right on the field, it gives him something that they haven't had since Randy Moss, yeah. a big-time playmaker, a guy that can command a double team. And with him and Gronkowski on the field at the same time, it can be absolutely devastating. But a lot of it comes down to Josh Gordon's ability to be accountable and ability to really show up and be there. If he's ready to work, I think the New England Patriots will find a way to make him a productive player. Uh, this is a low-risk proposition for them. Call from a fifth-round pick, if he doesn't work, just cut him. And we're talking about like big-time playmakers, so I'm wondering, Bucky, if you could settle an argument here between CL and myself. Uh, I don't see it as an argument. I think it's just such a clear point. Um, well, I just gave away my side. But anyway, uh, Randall Cobb in Green Bay, what kind of talent, where would you rate him um, like on the kind of the, if you'd allow me to use the word elite, the elite receiver, Ooh. elite scale, where would you rate him? A uh, question is, has Rodgers out there and Rodgers quarterback ever had an elite type of receiver to go to, and and then a contention is well, Randall Cobb, the, barring the injuries, Randall Cobb is that that type of guy. What do you think about that, Bucky? No, I wouldn't put him in that elite category. I wouldn't put him in the VIP club. Thank you, uh, sir. I think, I think I mean I think he's I think he's a good player, but I, I'm not I'm not ready to say that he's a top twenty, a top twenty five. I think the thing the book on Randall Cobb was written when they didn't have Jordy Nelson, they expected him to be the number one receiver and he couldn't come through for them. Uh, dominant players um, find a way to be successful in all circumstances. He hasn't been that. That's why I'm reluctant to say that he's the number one or even an elite playmaker at his position. And for that reason alone, Bucky, we got to get you back on the show sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. This, okay. is, this has been fun. We, we really appreciate you coming on with us today. Definitely when you're back in Chapel Hill or the Triangle area, swing by. We'd love to have you on set or something sometime. Oh, for sure. No doubt. Uh, whatever you need to call me. Excellent. 
excellent stuff. Unfortunately, we are out of time. You've been listening to Bucky Brooks, the Winter Soldier, here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Thank you so much, Bucky, for joining us. Stay tuned, folks. we got more great content coming your way right after these messages. Come on back to 97.9 The Hill. Thank you for coming on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. And now it's time to talk about football on Sundays, the NFL. And we have quite a topic for you this time. Sia, what's going on? Man, what's the deal with these ties in the NFL? Week one, <laughs> Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I mean, we, it was Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Week two, it's, it's Green Bay and Minnesota. Never happened before in the history of the game, which you tweeted out. <laughs> you tweeted that out. Hey, follow us on Twitter. Quick shout <laughs> at Sibling Rivalry Sports. But um, I think that the, the NFL needs to look at changing the rules of overtime. This, this is America, Jack. Why, why are we talking about ties in football? We should be talking about a winner and a loser. College football gets it right. And I'm not saying the NFL needs to adopt the exact rules of college football, but uh, they can adapt a similar model where both teams have a chance to score. And uh, well, well, they have a chance to score now, but both teams, there's no kick off you set the ball at a certain line you let them go to work and then if it gets to a point where you know they've tied in maybe the first two overtimes that third overtime you throw in the the they have to get a two-point conversion as well if they score a touchdown so there will be a winner there will be a loser there is no tie CL, CL, CL. It's like telling a kid that there is no, you know, who on Christmas time. I mean, CL. <laughs> Tell them. CL, CL. Think back to when we were young people, young men watching watching these NFL games, and that commercial from Alcoa used to come on. Alcoa, Alcoa can't, can't wait. wait. Fantastic finishes. And overtime, sudden death overtime, the Steelers, you know, whatever happened. Uh, Hello, sudden death overtime, unique to the NFL. We need to keep it. Now, wait, these games we had ties. Hello, it was, uh, uh, you know, some comical um, happenstance. I'm sorry, but you got it. You got to hit. An easy field goal. You have to hit these field goals. You have to take advantage of the opportunities. At some point, you're like, uh, does anybody want to win this game? If you want to win, you can go out and win. I think the rules Sudden are there. death was unique until they made the tweak where if you get a field goal, then the other team still gets a possession. It's sudden death after that, though. But after that. <laughs> what, yeah. what is that? It's that's sudden still, death. That's still that's not the same as it's do or die now. It's, okay. it's not but, do or but die now. You're not going to have it at all if we if we adopt college football. You're going to have a winner, exactly. You're going to have a clear winner and a clear loser. You're not going to have two ties in the first two weeks of the the season. True. I mean, because there are no ties. Yet sudden death, I I love sudden death. I love the idea of sudden death. I don't think, I think what needs to be tweaked are the kicking games of certain teams. I'm sorry. We're talking about careers and livelihoods. I don't know. I just think, I think we're fine. Do we need to bring the entire college game on a Sundays? No. That's another show, isn't That's it? That's not the entire college game. That right. is that is another show. That but, is another show. <laughs> but this is just for overtime. And I, I just don't understand why um, why well I don't know if it hasn't been explored yet, but I think they need to look at it. 
and I don't think this is an overreaction from two weeks of play. I, I would have said this if there wouldn't have been any ties. If you just asked me normally, hey, what do you think about overtime rules in the NFL? Sure, college football, CL. College football is much more exciting in, in overtime. In the, in the way that overtime is played, yes. Uh, well, I, I'll give you that. You can be more generally excited in college football, watching a college football game. Yet, if it's your team playing on Sundays, uh, you're hype. You're you know you're ready to roll uh, most times. But then again, that fiasco of Pittsburgh Cleveland. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that has nothing to do with it though. Does it see? That has, that nothing, has nothing to do. To I mean, it's no. a tie. A tie is better than a loss. If 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 we're is gonna it? talk, yes. If if you're gonna say fiasco in Cleveland, like a tie is better than a loss. Pittsburgh is better off being zero one and one right now than zero and two. Okay, I know that. So doesn't it feel like zero and two though? You know, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no. It doesn't. It feels like oh, facts over feelings. Way to go, CL. Feels like oh, one and one is what it feels like. Way to way to stick to your hashtag facts over feelings. All right, okay, well, we'll see how that all goes. What, is there anything else rules wise that you're thinking about? Well, after watching Cam Newton get hit again, I know <laughs> targeting hit by Atlanta safety Demonte. Casey, I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but that's what we're going to stick with. You, you get disrespected with name pronunciation, pronunciation when you make disrespectful hits on the football field. Oh, man. Wow. So he was ejected from the game, but the question to me is— He's going to get fined. I don't care about fine. It's, it's not going to be a big enough fine for him to feel it in his pockets. It, it's you don't be, think so? No. Oh, I so you think, think the fine so. itself is not going to be big enough? No, no. For to to prevent this from happening again, no, for sure. Okay. Um, I think I think the league could go with tougher penalties. I think suspension, a game suspension for something like that, would be warranted. I mean, the whole idea in the NFL now is to protect the quarterback, right? True. Protect them. Yes. And, and and in week one against against Dallas, we saw. Uh, Dallas defensive end Demarcus Lawrence uh, got penalized and then later fined for hitting Cam Newton below the knees. I still think there's a thing for quarterbacks are protected. Cam Newton, maybe not so much all the time yeah, because he's a big guy because they, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm just speculating here because they think he can take the hits. Kind of like when Shaq used to get fouled in the middle and no, there would be no call because he's so big. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell you, I agree with you. I got to say that Cam is in a different category in the minds of some folks. And they, they look at him, they say when he pulls the ball down, he's a big guy. He's more of a hybrid quarterback. So, you know, it's unfair for defenses to have to let up. Or, or They don't say that exactly, but I'm just saying that seems like the attitude sometimes. And uh, actually, as Bucky Brooks tweeted out and made the point, what if that hit had been taken by an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brooks? Brady. Oh man, they what shut the, the league down. <laughs> they shut the whole thing down. <laughs> so, you know, and somebody said, well, yeah, but they're not going to be running like that. Uh, so what? They both play the position of quarterback. You got to protect Cam. Now, listen, and in still... this case, he was sliding against Atlanta. It wasn't wow. like he was running straight up and this happened. He By the was way, already in his slide. You know, for a quarterback, they no longer have to slide. They can dive or slide. It's the same effect. They don't. You still cannot destroy him. You know, as as it going down. But you, there's still hope, though. There's still hope because they could. We got to see what they're going to do. So you never know. Yeah. All right. Uh, well. I guess uh, what we're going to do here is we're going to just kind of move on and hope that things continue to get better and come on back for our last segment where we've got more exciting content, including the brownouts. So stick with us on Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill. 
Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports. Yeah, I can sing a sin every time. Do you want me to see how I can do it every single time? You're not going to sing for us, are you? <laughs> Remember that from Fletch? <laughs> of course I do. Moon River. Okay, so it's time for the brownout. The brownout. As you know, faithful listener, the brownout is the last segment of the show where we just do quick hit takes on quick hit topics. Let's go to the first one. Two years ago, the FBI said it had the playbook for cheaters in college basketball. Arizona was one of only four schools to have an assistant coach arrested in the FBI's probe, yet the Wildcats just secured a commitment from Nico Mannion, the nation's number two point guard in the class of 2019. Does the FBI's playbook just mean business as usual? CL, what say you? thought from the beginning the FBI was bluffing and that it was smoke and mirrors. They had a lot of time for an investigation, only arrested four assistant coaches directly involved. So uh, to me, it's just always been more the same in college basketball and, and we'll continue this way until there's some some real appeal, uh, real appeal. CL, this goes back to my days as an FBI agent, which I really can't discuss publicly like that. But you don't know what the inner processes are. Game day in the FBI means something totally different, and we're going to see one one day. Nope. Just got- <laughs> nope to all of that. We just got to keep waiting. Let's, let's, let's move on to the next one. What's next on Brownout? Canelo Alvarez won a controversial majority decision against Triple G Gennady Golovkin to win the Unified Middleweight World Championship. Was this outcome predetermined to set up Canelo Triple G Part 3? CL, this is all yours. You know, this is, boxing always has some kind of conspiracy in it, and that just kind of got me thinking about conspiracies in sports in general. And I think I think this is a totally different segment we can break off now because yes. it's like it's taking us to Area 54. Love it. Love it. Well, yeah, not not Area 51, Area 54 after Highway 54. So what, what do you got? So uh, Alvarez winning this majority decision, to me, it's only to set up a third uh, a rematch, and which would be the third in this series, the trilogy. And we also had this same weekend, uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather announced that there will be another fight with Manny Pacquiao, which to me is like seven years too late, which is also just to set up another big payday. So I think that's part of the reason people soured on boxing began to sour on boxing and why it wasn't the sport that it used to be because you have situations like this where the public sees a clear-cut winner the judges see something differently and you're wondering if their pockets are being padded <laughs> lined yeah uh, that that does that belongs squarely in area 54 so we're going to come back with area 54 in the future and have other other topics that we can discuss in that type of thing. So, CL, before we get out of here, any anything, any kind of a final thought, any final thought on the, the world of sports? Well, I think we have in the future, um, we're, we're, next week is going to be a, a good episode. Um, I think that we got college basketball is about to gear up strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, practices are, are close to starting. And, but uh, it's still squarely football season. It is football season, but I like to talk about hoops. So <laughs> we're, we're going to have some interesting things. Josh Gordon to the Patriots intrigues me. Um, I think the situation in Tampa Bay with uh, with Jameis Winston about to come back, but Fitzpatrick's playing so well right now. It's magic. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. So there, there's going to be a lot going on. Let me say Fitzmagic. magic. <laughs> 
the magic show's going to be over soon, folks. He, 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 he's a very smart guy, went to Harvard. He, he knows the X's and O's, surprised everybody coming in there, kind of totally different uh, approach and concept, you know, with that quarterback. But it's going to be over soon, okay? Let, let's, uh, let's go ahead and admit that. We'll see how it goes. I also want to give a shout-out again to Mario Crystal Ball. You know, he, he, he did good, big things at FIU, the Panthers down there, and that's where, hey, Butch Davis is, and he's also doing big things. But I think Mario Crystal Ball is the real deal, CL. You're caping for him so hard. I'm wondering if that's the area 54. Are you on his payroll? <laughs> oh, man. Nah, I don't want to go out to Oregon. I'm sorry. I don't want to be on that payroll. All right. Well, well, well. CL, this has been quite a day for you because, CL, you have been able to experience both Captain America and Bucky on the same <laughs> show. CL! And on that note, you you clearly see my brother's delusional (laughs) at this point, folks. All right. Well, uh, my name is Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports. Sports. Thank you for tuning in. Come on back next time here on 97.9 WCHL. The Hill!